Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. Uh, we've had a week of preseason games, another one coming tomorrow night uh, against Memphis. We're recording on a Friday night. Uh, Glenn, from, from the first two preseason games, uh, what stands out most? They're on two, Kevin, so it's not good. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, for me, so much of this has been kind of typical preseason where they're not really running a ton of, you know, really kind of highly engineered stuff. It seems to be more of rhythm, some chemistry objectives and things like that. But the thing that jumps out to me the most by quite a lot is Gorgie had what I think four, I can't remember if it was 14 minutes or 18 minutes. There's, you know, somewhere around 15 minutes in game one, game trade played in. No shots, um, pretty ineffective offensively. Um, the, the the overall defensive footing in that game was terrible. I mean, Miami got the ball wherever they wanted and, and, and such, and you, you have to say that reflects a little bit on the big man who's trying to get them organized and stuff. I mean, that's not super concerning because it was the first game with that team. But then the second game without Trey, he had what, six assists. He's pretty active uh, as a shooter, pretty active. Um, you know, with the ball and kind of in primary action. And so I, you know, especially considering the fact that Clint hasn't played yet, Clint's not going to play tomorrow, I think, because he's already been ruled out. Um, and then you've been hearing firsthand the injury kind of status updates. I don't know if you were connecting any dots about how Clint's actually doing right now, but, you know, Gorgie is going to be a pretty big piece, you know, when this season starts. And, He's, you know, we've talked a little bit about the fact that offensively, he's not really a very natural fit with Trey. Um, he's not a lob threat. He's not a kind of vertical guy. Um, you know, he'll work hard as a screener and he'll kind of do some of the, those basic things. But, you know, in, in that first game with Trey, even when he would slip a screen as Hawks Biggs will do a lot with Trey uh, or just operate in typical pick and roll and kind of work toward the rim, his hands were up. It seemed like he wasn't really expecting the ball. Um, and that's could be just a massive change of initiators and point guards he's played with in the past to now. And, you know, acclimation, getting adapted and all that sort of stuff that's normal. But just in terms of how that makes me look at the very beginning of the season and some of the challenges they're going to have to work through, that right now, I don't want to make too much of you know, two preseason games. Um, but that right now looks like a, a pretty big area they're going to have to kind of work through depending upon when Clint – can play can he start the season can he can he play a somewhat normal workload if not there's going to be either a lot of Gorgie and I'll think they'll need that on defense or a lot of minutes with Gallo and JC at the four and the five or Hunter up at four if he can play enough and then you know JC at the five but I think to get Trey all the juice he needs offensively there's going to have to be a pretty heavy dose of Gallo and JC manning the four and the five or one of them at the five um, and someone else kind of sliding up to the four to get trade the, the stuff he needs to work with offensively. So that me, the Gorgie fit is the um, big, big takeaway that I've had the first two games. So I'm curious if you've seen it the same way or if you, uh, if I'm, I'm making more of it than, than, than you feel like you're seeing curious, what you, you're seeing there too. I think that's fair. I mean, it's, I think it's the most interesting question um, kind of going into the season is how do they triage 
the five spot, I was asking Nate McMillan today about, you know, the idea of using Danilo as a center, which I think sometimes he is when he plays with John Collins. They, they use that tandem together against Miami and with Bam and PJ Tucker, you know, that, that really puts Danilo on Tucker and he's, I guess the de facto power forward at that point. And JC's the center trying to stick with Bam. But I mean, I think that's, that's a pairing they're going to have to use a lot um, because they just don't have the bodies. I'm under, I'm under the assumption that Johnny Hamilton is, you know, obviously I don't, I don't want to say obviously, but I don't think he's making the roster. Right. You know, there Jaleel Okafor, I'm not really sure. I thought that was very curious that he did not play in the second game. Um, you know, I still have no idea how that happens just because like the roster is as thin. If you're not going to play him now, when are you going to play him? Like <laughs> right. there's no there's no point in keeping him on the roster if he can't crack the rotation in a game where there's no Clint, no Okongwu. Um so I you know I I not to get too far afield, but my my deep, deep gut is that Timotei Luau Cabro makes the roster and not Okafor, but we'll see. But, you know, when I asked Nate about Danilo at center, he said, well, you know, JC's really the center. And, you know, I like those lineups for their offense, but I'm nervous about them on defense, which, you know, that's not an earth shattering surprise. No. I mean, I think they have to use it. I mean, I think there, there just aren't enough lineups where you have enough rebounding and enough good things to happen. And, and, and so I wouldn't really be worried about Gorgie as much just because I mean, I think if you're going to use those lineups, you use them with Trey, like if you're going to use JC and Gallo together, I think you kind of do it with Trey as much as possible for, for offensive purposes and just kind of, you know, go nuclear offense and, and, and worry about the defense, uh, hopefully in hindsight, because you're just uh, racking up the points at that point. So, yeah, you know, I, I kind of see Gorgie as a bench piece, um, a very good bench piece. He's going to be absolutely critical uh, if Clint doesn't go. But, you know, the, the, the Clint thing is interesting because, you know, I think he's optimistic about his health. But I also think that he's the player who has done the least in the preseason, like Hunter and Bogdanovich and Herter. Uh, you know, I, I think they've all done more. I guess maybe a Kongu hasn't done as much, but obviously he wasn't expected to. And and even a Kongu was out there doing drills and stuff after practice. So, right. you know, a Kongu's level of activity is is honestly equal to Capella's at this point because neither one has done anything live except for some drills. And so we we've barely seen Clint at all. And you know, that's that's honestly smart. I mean, if you know if this has been kind of a lingering thing enough that it bugged him last season enough that he went to, uh, you know, get a procedure early in the off season. Uh, there, there, there's no motivation to rush it. And I don't worry so much about the Jang thing because like, you know, one, I think he'll be more the bench and two, I think there's a feeling out process that you try in the first game where you put him maybe in more primary actions than you want to. Uh, you know, if you've got Trey and JC out there, I think they'll be happy using him as a peripheral player at that point. Yeah, I mean, if Clint's a go, this is not really an issue. The, 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 the scenario that makes it really interesting to me, and not to paint it as just a negative, but um, is if, if Clint can't start the season 
um, as expected. And right now, I have no idea what the likelihood of that is. We're still a ways away from the first game. I mean, the preseason games happen, and there's kind of a lull, and you know, and things like that. So, just could Clint could play 25 minutes or what have you on opening night, and you know, it wouldn't be shocking. Um, but at the same time, to your point, we haven't seen him yet. You know um really so um but i i keep falling back on they gave him that extension and if he had a real issue that they felt like they were going to manage across the whole season i wonder if, if that would have happened so you know i'm hoping that that if i can connect the dots in the right way this is just a slow ramp up for clint given how much workload he got last year um and then how short the off season was and what they're going to need from him this year they're going to need a strong finish from him again Got to hit their hit their marks, and, and all of that. It's um, well, let's say that let's say he misses the first I don't know three or four games of the season. Just a total hypothetical scenario. Interesting question around: Do you start Gorgie because he helps you get organized on defense? Um, you know, the he, he gives you the best shot there for sure. Not the Gallo can't communicate stuff, but Gorgie can kind of uh, be present where he needs to be present to kind of anchor all of that, um, and then do something else until Gorgie. Uh, can come off the floor, then you have presumably JC and Gallo or something like that. And that's when Trey can kind of get into his, you know, bag more so, you know, and that, that'll be interesting. I always think back to um, kind of examples I could point at. And I think of the year that Zaza was in Golden State and how, uh, and this wasn't the only season that Kerr did that. Kerr treated Bogut a little bit like this when he was the guy, but Zaza was the best example of He'd go out and he would help them establish Establish their defense, and he would work as a screener on offense. And he would know he would know he's only playing about 14 minutes a night. He doesn't care if he takes fouls, setting screens on offense because he he doesn't you know he's not going to go through six of them in 14 minutes presumably. Um, but before they would really kind of get into their pace and spacing the floor on offense and get it, like stay and Clay kind of doing all their things. They would get about four minutes of burn in the game where the defense was setting the defense was the priority. And then once they kind of had themselves established on defense, then they would like really push the envelope on offense. And then Zaza would come off and you'd see Draymond at the five, or you'd see a mix of um, Iguodala and Draymond kind of at those positions, like we're talking about Gallo and JC, uh, where at least the defense was organized and, and, you know, the, um, the more offensive lineup is there and can still kind of work within that construct. So it'd be interesting to me if Clint can't, can't go the first couple of games, does Gorgie start helping get organized on defense or does Gall or does uh, Nate give Trey kind of all of the weapons he might prefer to, to start the game very first few offensive possessions. That'd be an interesting decision if it comes to me. Yeah. And, you know, part of the reason I've been kicking this around just trying to, you know, figure out what's going to happen is I think it's sort of the unlikely path, you know, given all the things that have happened in the past few months, the unlikely path that, you know, Jalen Johnson is almost in the rotation right from the get-go. Um, you know, I wouldn't have thought that on draft night, but, you know, Right now, it's it's sort of looking like, you know, you're going to need somebody else to play power forward because you're going to have, you know, whoever it is of Collins and, and Gallinari, you know, eating, trying to eat some of those minutes at center. Um, you know, 
Jalen Johnson then becomes an important piece as a power forward, I think. And, and I don't know that he's ready for it, but I think it's honestly the best thing, best thing, you know, long-term for his, for his progression though, you know, minutes, minutes are golden. Um, that's how you develop. Uh, and so, you know, it might not be pretty, but I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's healthy for, for Jalen Johnson's career if he's playing right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, we don't really know what this version of Nate kind of does with the situation like that, where it's a young guy, there's, there's going to be errors, you know, there's going to be mistakes and, you know, can you kind of roll through that? Um, you know, some of his comments that I saw today, I, I think you were there to hear them about, you know, if you have the ball, you got to do something. I don't know the words were constructive, positive, you know, with it, you can't be out there kind of trying to figure it out. That's not where we are as a team. I'm totally paraphrasing that. Um, but that that makes you think like, well, is Jalen going to get that opportunity? Uh, I, I think you're saying, yeah, um, and that was that was of, he kind of tailed that onto a discussion of another player who wasn't Cam Reddish and wasn't Jalen Johnson, and he just kind of segued into that. But it's you know, it's kind of the reality that we knew about the Hawks going into the season, which is you know they're they're about objectives now; they're not about development, and right. the objective is who who plays the best right now and. And so Jalen Johnson's development is kind of counter to that, but the injury situation, uh, it's its the slimmest of silver linings that he will get some of those minutes. Yeah, and I, I think if I could pick, you know, and I know that I, I don't have any say, but, you know, roll with Jalen early. If that's not working and that's creating too much risk, that's where Solomon Hill is kind of a backstop. You know, you can kind of roll him in. He's going to give you just the competent minutes on defense. Hopefully he'll make one or two uh, shots from the three-point line when the defense leaves him all alone, you know, uh, and things like that. But, he, but you know, I, I want listeners to remember the other things you get with Solomon is that the ball doesn't stick with him. He knows what he's doing. He knows where to be. He knows where to move the ball. And that, those things in and of themselves are helpful. They don't jump out at you uh, as like wild plays or whatever. But, you know, when you have Jalen out there, the ball might stick when it wouldn't with Solo. And, I, I agree that, you know, the, the default should be let's, <laughs> let's roll with Jalen and kind of see how that's working and see what he's giving us and let's see how many mistakes there are. Let's see how much good stuff there is. And then you then I that's the nice thing about being able to swing back towards a solo if Jalen's just not understanding what he's seeing from the opposing defense or whatever. You know, if he's not understanding what the what he needs to be doing on defense, you can roll solo out there and get all the kind of the baseline stuff that you need from the position. So that's a great, that's, a, that's a, a great situation to be in, especially as, you know, a little bit like Clint, we're not totally sure what Hunter's status is. And I don't know if Nate has talked about the possibility of Hunter playing some more at the four uh, this year. You know, LP to basically saw him as a three you know, um, and and saw him as, even though I don't think he ever used the term, a, a defensive point guard, you and I talked a little bit about, about that. Um, but that that's going to be, you know, interesting to see how, you know, Hunter, Jalen, Solo, and then I'm curious about the level of Cabrera. I think it's, to me, it seems like a slam dunk that he makes the roster. But I wonder, you know, I've always felt like, even the last year or two, and that as uh, TLC gets a little older, he's so big, he has so much size. Um, I think he's is a guy who grows more towards the four potentially. As much as I mean, he's not as big as Hunter, you know, but but um, but he he looks huge next to an average size guard, you know. 
and stuff. So that that's just an option too. It's you know he should shoot the ball better than Solo. That hasn't happened in some games. I don't know if it's really been shot TLC. Um, but yeah, that that kind of uh, he's a better group. shooter than Solo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might be a better shooter than Solo, uh, Kevin. <laughs> um, uh, I like Solo, but we can have some fun uh, about the things he's not so awesome at. But yeah, it's, I mean, the Javen minutes are still, you know, it's interesting. And I, I, can I ask you, I mean, what do you feel, have you kind of taken anything away from the Javen minutes so far in these two games? I mean, it, or does it look like mostly the same of, of what it looked like in summer league, knowing that that his impact wasn't going to scale when he's playing against, you know, right now, mostly actual rotation players. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, we mentioned defense before, uh, you know, what, what would the defense look like with, with Jalen Johnson in there? And I think it's a reasonable expectation that I think that Nate would do everything he can to kind of keep it simple. Um, you know, I, I think it was the first game he was out there. It was pretty much just a simple switching scheme. And, you know, I, 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 th- I kind of think that that would be sort of one of the things that you would expect. And if it got more complicated, you would lean on Solo. I think Solo is the guy that you want in Jalen Johnson's ear in terms of just sort of leadership and knowing what to do and, and kind of imparting what he, he, he needs to figure out to make it work. But, you know, I think right now it's – the strength of his game is just going to be what they can get out of him in transition. I, mean, I think that honestly, that might be the strength of his game for his whole career that he's, you know, he's just so he's such a whiz in transition, like both ends. Like if he's the rebounder, just to get grab and go, but also if somebody else gets the rebound, he just has this incredible nose for, you know, where to be and how to, how to exploit the defense. And he's just, he's a, I don't think he's an explosive athlete around the rim, but in terms of just like point A to point B speed, when they're out on the break, he's really fast. Um, So, I mean, I think right now, just the strength of his game is what, you know, what he can do in transition and they just, everything else, I think they have very low expectations for him at this point, just because he's a rookie and he's, he's still trying to sort things out. Yeah. It'll it'll be fascinating. I, I don't, if someone asked me like Glenn, how do you think they'll do in their first, I don't know, eight games? And is it going to be like a four and four, what you expect, or a fast start or a slow start? I honestly have no idea because part of that is just I don't know if Clint's going to be playing, you know, there. And, and that's and that's, there's a long list. It's not just Clint, right? But but for me, that's the the first one I okay. want to know about, right? Because sure. I mean, if if Hunter misses time, you know, they 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 showed last year they they I mean, I hate to talk about it this way, but. They can cover, you know, those minutes with more Bogdanovich plus Herder minutes, you know, depending on you know how um, much stability there is and what Cam is bringing, kind of kind of the wing as well and things like that. But I mean, Clint, I mean, man, that is that's the big one. Apart from Trey, I mean, it, it, every team's superstar is going to be the one that if that they lose that person, you know, it's all you know, pack it up, let's go, <laughs> you know, that kind of scenario. But the next one is just, uh, you know, Clint. And it's, it's funny because of how um, ugly uh, some of his moments were in the last season on offense at times. And he was, I mean, I have to say, he's quite effective at other times, you know. Uh, but, um, 
but his two-way value playing with Trey, what he provides, like just as a as that stabilizing kind of kind of player in that role, that's the the thing I make just most anxious to find out about. But I mean, I'm not. I mean, right now, from what I've seen in two games, um, I mean, I'm not expecting like this super fast start where it's kind of all clicking. Uh, I think there's just a lot to work. I think there's just still a lot to work through and a lot of guys to get up to speed and it's going to take a month or two at least, you know, for like a Kong would be back or, you know, whatever that's going to be and everyone else to be up to full speed to where everyone's in the slot they're intended to be in, you know? And um, so I, you know, I don't know. I hope fans um, don't get frustrated if there's a little bit of a slow start because that, that, it, it looks that's the way it's looking to line up for me right now. And I'm not worried about it. Yeah. I, I think you're giving him too much. I think you're giving Capella a little too much credit on offense. I don't know that, that he's a special security blanket. I think John is really the one that makes that work. And I think they'll be fine on offense. I, I mean, I think that first game, you know, Miami was pretty intense. I think Trey was kind of careful before he got out. He's still trying to figure out his rhythm. They're playing with a new basketball, which I'm just – I'm a little bit nervous about the ball for the sake of Trey just because when you're, when you're as finely tuned as Trey is – and this is, this is a, you know, true of so many things about Trey. Like if, if Trey gets an injury or if Trey gets a new ball, it's just like – you know, to, to have that kind of touch on your passes, to be shooting from 35 feet, like the smallest little things uh, get magnified when you have a player who's that precise. Um, but I, I mean, I think if you just have regular Trey and you've got Bogdanovich with one of Herder or Hunter and John Collins, and then, you know, pick a center, whether it's Gallo or Gorgie Jang or, Capella, they're going to be just fine on offense. And I, I, I don't think Capella's that important there. But the, just the, the defense and just the minutes as a whole, without, without having a Kongu, uh, you know, Capella is going to be huge and that, that absence is going to be felt. Uh, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, the thing that I – where I think Capella makes a big difference offensively is the, the speed from which he gets from the top of the key to the round. E- even if – on that possession, no, 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 no. Like you, we saw in the playoffs, Okongwu was better at that than Capella. Oh yeah, but I, but I'm saying I know Okongwu's not in the mix right now. Okay, but Capella has great feel, slipping screens, moving towards the paint, moving towards the rim, and just kind of dragging, uh, you know, some of that defensive pressure um, away from Trey. And he, even if he's not, obvious, and he's not the best guy, always kind of catching and. You know, setting for the shot and getting himself oriented. John's way, way, way better at that. No doubt about exactly. that. Exactly. So if Capella's not there, you just have John do it. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I yeah, know. but yeah, I, uh, I, I feel like there's, um, you know, John's kind of reading. Do I, um, do I slip and get to the rim? And at times he's reading, kind of, do I go to three point line because he can't do that. It's like a dive straight to the rim, and I feel like it's a timing mechanism for everybody else so that's just me we can we don't have to agree but um I, you know i and, and there's no doubt in the john minutes they'll be fine so like how many minutes do you want to play john and center and what have I, you know i just want to see trey get all the things that he needs and because gallo's not ever going to do that right he's never ever going to dive to the rim and kind of drag the defense nor should he right 
And so it's that it's that stabilizing kind of decisiveness and just Clint's team-mindedness on offense to look for a screen to set, to know when and when not to crash the offensive glass. And I mean, there's a lot of ugly moments for Clint on offense. There's no doubt about that. But he does so many little things that are helpful that give them the kind of timing mechanisms and create an impact that I feel like sometimes go unnoticed. Um, and that that he, it, I think it's easier to replicate that and another player on offense and defense for sure. I think that's where you and I are agreeing for sure that the replication is much harder in defense. But apart from John, they really don't have that other guy on this roster right now. Jalil Okafor, not that. You know, um, Gorgie is not that. We could talk about, you know, Jalen at the five. I, I even posted a clip from the playoffs where uh, defensive possession, DeAndre Hunter ended up at the five and had a phenomenal possession there. So, I mean, you know, if, if this was a, a head coach that was tended to kind of um, roll with things a little bit more and be a little bit more creative, then maybe I think, well, you know, maybe we'll see this or maybe we'll see that. But that's not who Nate has historically been. But this is also it's going to be fun to see. Nate, with this team going straight to a season, have a having, having had the whole offseason, the whole preseason to kind of get his plan together and to see how much of what they were doing in the playoffs rolls over. You and I talked about that too. And I haven't gotten a read of, on that in the preseason because they're running such basic stuff, <laughs> especially on yeah. offense. You know? I wanted to ask you about that, but I guess that's, that's you answered the question before I asked it. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, the, I, I think a lot of it is. Uh, not having Clint, um, integrating Gorgie, uh, and things like that. So I don't want to put too much on it. But they, they I mean, they've been there are times where they run, you know, uh, across wedge screen to get JC a touch in the post, and then they'll run. They've actually ran some away or often called strong action, where a wing lifts from the corner through two screens up towards Trey, and and uh, does typically a pitch back that gets into some stuff. So, but I mean, they they're running third grade stuff so far in two games they're not getting really sophisticated and their ATOs have been really bland their ATOs were phenomenal last year just even the playoffs or ATOs were phenomenal last year so bland 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 offense nothing really to make of uh you know straight carryover 100% carryover 40% carryover what is it we, we have no clue yet um, in that area in, in my view okay uh, one of the things that I'm excited about uh, is that, you know, we, we've talked about the things that Clint and JC do, but it, it's nice to see Jalen Johnson and Gorgie out there because uh, we really haven't had a whole lot of great passing from the bigs. And I, th- I think they're going to be, you know, both excellent passers, you know, you know the fact that they look like good passers in their first couple of games is a good sign because, you know, they're still feeling out their teammates and they're feeling out the offense and they already look like, you know, uh, guys who were looking for their teammates and guys who have a good feel for where the ball should be. So uh, I think that's an intriguing element. If, uh, you know, <laughs> if things get worse in other areas, at least that's one bright spot. Yeah. I think that is helpful. Uh, for sure, because the, the um, Hawks have been kind of short on that. You know, that's they one have of the been. things. Yes, yeah, uh, not a lot of good passing from their bigs. Yeah, that's where JC's game has um, progressed the least since he came into the league. I think offensively, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I thought Akongu was 
showing some nice fly. I think Okungwu will grow into being a pretty good passer. Yeah. Don't yeah. know what the actual ceiling will end up being. But I mean, Gorgie is just Gorgie's just smart. You know, yeah, he's just a really smart player. He's resourceful. Um, you know, he's more comfortable in a little bit of space. The tight DHO, he's going to be a little. He doesn't quite have the footwork in DHO, um, like the Hawks are used to seeing. Clint, I mean, Clint's worked so hard in that area to get that down, even though his hands aren't perfect. Um, but Gorgie wants a step and a half away from his point guard and use more of a kind of a, a pitch into the DHO as opposed to the tight rub. And so th- those are the little things where Trey's got to learn. Like, oh, you know, Gorgie doesn't want me cutting right off of his hip. He's, he wants to give me the ball a step and a half before I get there and then step in to take half a step towards me and yeah. move that point of the screen. You know, obviously Trey and Gorgie don't have that down yet. Um, I, I, th- I thought Gorgie hurt her. And Bogdanovich looked pretty clean in the off-ball screen stuff, but that's that's stuff everybody's been running, you know, since they were, you know, either sophomore or Bogdanovich is, you know, his first year as a pro in, in Europe and stuff. So that's a little bit more basic, but but that it's nice because you know if the offense is kind of bogging down a little bit and Gorgie's kind of on the floor for defensive purposes, you can start getting into more um, you know floppy or or more strong early action where Gorgie's working as an off-ball screener and. Uh, and Trey showed so much willingness last year in the postseason when there was so much attention t- t- on him to let the offense kind of run through that. And then what was most encouraging to me that he started to show some nuance and sophistication how you work back to the ball if needed in, in those sets. And so I'm super anxious to see if that juice is kind of still there uh, to start the season because I think that flow will, will work the best in the, in the Gorky office of minute. So um, I'm disappointed that we've gotten a very bland diet of offense so far, but in, in a way it's building my appetite um, for what we're going to see the first, you know, two or three or whatever, number of regular season games to, to kind of see what that stuff is. So looking forward to that. I can't, there's been a lot of talk about Cam Reddish. Um, a lot of Twitter uh, mileage, and Cam, Cam's samples for two games. What, what, what have you made of what you've seen from him? Mean. <laughs> I I don't know what the to do is about. Like that's Cam. <laughs> like I mean, his his game two was completely bipolar. Uh, you know, with just an atrocious first half, and you know, much better second half. But it's not anything. I don't think he's done anything differently in the first couple games than what we're used to. Like he looks great on defense. He's a nice shooter when he's got his feet set. Um, you know, he's he's got some one-on-one moves. He has to improve his decision-making out of those one-on-one moves. And, you know, he's, he's still Cam. He's, you know, one of the things I was looking for in the first game is just uh, you know, how does he look physically? How explosive is he around the rim? And I think early on there was like an alley-oop from, from Trey to Cam and, I think the play worked and he, you know, he kind of laid it in, but it just didn't have the, it didn't have that athletic burst, which, you know, I, I don't necessarily think Cam is that athlete, but I was at least willing to watch and see because he's had a lot of nagging injuries through two seasons with his abdomen and his, his Achilles. And so you wonder if, if maybe that athleticism is there and he just hasn't been able to show it, but you know, I, I, I don't think he's, 
you know, I still don't think he's going to be that super explosive athlete, but he's, he's, he's so coordinated. He's such a rangy defender. He's like a magnet to the ball, just in terms of, it almost looks like the, the offense, the opposing offense is just throwing passes to him because he just reads it quickly and he's got an incredible wingspan and a knack for the ball. But um, I mean, honestly, he just looks like the, the same cam really. Yeah. He looks, I, I would say that in the practices, like, you know, getting to see the last 15 minutes of practice or whatever, he does look physically stronger. Um, and, you know, it might be a little bit more of a process of feeling out how to, how that gets used in the game. So I, he may not be like more explosive because of the health, but I think in his third season, just as he gets to, you know, 22 years old, 23 years old, 24 years old, as he goes through these next couple of seasons, uh, he's going to get stronger. And, you know, he's, if he's not an explosive athlete, he's still a highly coordinated, graceful athlete. And when he combines that with strength, you know, I think he's going to have a great season. Um, but I don't think it's it's like any sort of uncapped, limitless thing. I think you know, he just has a chance to be a really good forward. Yeah, I think so, too. I I think um, – I don't, I don't want to put all fans in the same category. But I think in some examples, the fans have too high of expectations. There's the, I think all people still see him as a person, as a player who's you know, could still be on a star trajectory, and that, that's just not really who he is. Um, and there's a lot of room in the NBA for really good players, and that's what he could he could be. Um, but um, and then I, I you know, he, Cam's not the most verbal guy, so you always wonder like, well, what is his own expectation for himself? Kind of how is he thinking of himself uh, right now? And and I mean, all we could do is speculate, so it doesn't make sense for us to spend a lot of time talking about. It, but I'm just kind of expressing there's some curiosity for me there in terms of what I believe and what I think seems semi-obvious is in terms of what this team needs from him and will he buy into that and embrace that. Um, I have no reason to think that he won't, but um, if for whatever reason someone in his circle is telling him, no, don't, don't let them make you a supporting, you know, player or whatever, that, that, and that happens in the NBA, you know, and, and teams have to deal with it, organizations have to deal with it and stuff, but I agree that defensive impacts and the defensive uh, disruptiveness is just, so, I mean, really pretty special uh, and, and pretty rare stuff that you get on that end. Um, and then I, I think right now he's still, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on offense and like a, a few possessions where it's like, what in the world? And a few other possessions where he's, you know, uh, looking to shoot uh, on the catch and kind of move and get in, into the flow of the offense and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what the team needs from you. Um, it's just going to be interesting because this is year three, even though year two was almost completely lost for him. Um, and now, like we mentioned earlier, the team's objectives have shifted away from development, so it's not like he's going to get to run 15 pick and rolls a game, you know, by design, um, and, and and those sorts of things. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of you know what does that what does that stuff look like. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm excited for what he could be if. You know, the roles embraced and the, the the improvement really becomes a more of an incremental set of goals as opposed to like trying to kind of hit you know this formula all at once and kind of make him this guy who's going to be an all-star next season or something something like that you know uh it's so much kind of good raw stuff there to, to to get into that mix that could be really fun and so i just have my fingers crossed i feel a little unsure about what i'm actually going to see 
But so far, I totally agree with you. It's been the same cam. <laughs> it's been the exact same cam. You know, the decision-making up and down the best. The ball handling is still, in my mind, his biggest issue on offense. He's still way too loose with the basketball. The ball handling skills have not been refined. But he didn't get to really work last year, so I don't want to hold that too much against him. But, like, even after his rookie season, I put out some content uh, where I was trying to demonstrate that his issue with the shooter typically was his ball handling, that he wasn't keeping the ball kind of, you know, um, under control and near his body to help. He, you know, when he would get into a shooting motion, the ball could be two feet from him, one foot from him, or right square in his, you know, abdomen. And it's like, how could you ever become a consistent shooter when your ball handling is that wild? And that that's still there, you know, at least right now. Could he make some real progress this year? Sure. But the decision-making and the ball handling are still pretty big areas of at least inconsistency. I'll put, I was going to say we're never going to see anything good in those areas. It's just inconsistent. But that Defensive impact in the way that he could provide such tremendous relief to defensive lineups train it. I mean, that could be so beneficial and so impactful. And so I, I hope that the offense uh, finds a way of kind of working itself out with him because his defense could be incredibly valuable. So just, I'm interested. I'm curious. I feel a little um, unsure what it's going to happen, but I can't wait to kind of see see what happens and hope for the best. Yeah, and going back to the strength thing, I, mean, I think, you know, if, if he's not an explosive athlete, but he's a stronger athlete, I think his his ball handling on drives will get better just because it, I think, you know, it's been too easy to bump him into yep. an off-balance move. And he's, you know, he's been really willing to take some of those off-balance moves when he gets that bump. Um, and I think, you know, as he gets stronger, those plays are going to go more in his favor because – he'll deliver that blow as much as he takes it. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, like DeAndre's so good at that at gathering. Right. Exactly. His, he, exactly. His ball skills aren't that refined. Yeah. Two and a half, three. I don't remember how, but yeah. he, he's been in the development um, process on this development path for a good, you know, two or three years longer than camp. So let's always try to kind of keep that in mind. Um, I did want to hit quickly on Sharif. And all I'm going to say is, Streets to put in some work. There's some stuff that was pretty messy in summer league that looked so much fingernail on both ends of the court. No surprise because he had a reputation of being just like a really intense worker and a guy who will work. But man, has he tightened things up um, working near his screener uh, and kind of finding the angle, kind of coming off of that screen. And then if the defense kind of sags, knowing how to press into a pocket and create space on the other side of the I mean, I'm just so impressed with how far some really nuanced areas of his game, and even on defense, just he's a quarter step faster into a guy and, you know, making a guy have to uh, kind of reset or regather or adjust his angle in towards the paint. And so, you know, you know, streets on two way contract, Delon Wright uh, and Lou Williams are going to you know, back up Trey presumably, but man, I, I just have to say, you know, while you know the, everybody knows the big play is the the lob he had to JC, and you know, that was fun and no, deserved all that attention. But you know, in terms of how I watch games, Shreve has been putting in some work, and it's so evident. And that's that, that's the stuff that I enjoy the most. So I kind of watching and following these young players like I do. It's why I, I go to the summer league every single chance I can because I love to see their 
incremental progress year over year and guys kind of working their way towards the league and stuff like that. So um, just want to shout him out and feel like, man, what, what uh, just impressive progress in just a pretty short period of time for him. That's good. Um, I just wanted to add that, you know, one of the, we've been trying, uh, let me get this sentence clean. <laughs> you mentioned before, you know, trying to get a feel for, how might Nate be different in his second season, you know, coming in with a full camp and, and all of that. And, you know, in terms of the schemes and stuff, it doesn't really feel all that different. And just in terms of the things that he says, you know, one point that he's come back to a couple of times when talking about the bench is that, you know, he talks about matchups and matchups and matchups, which really isn't all that different from the stuff that he said last season, but, you know, he, he's come back a couple of times to mentioning that, you know, when they use a combination of DeLon and Kevin Herter or Kevin Herter and Lou or DeLon and Lou, that, you know, they want to they wanna be able to hunt out weak defensive matchups in second units because they just feel like, you know, if they put some combination of two or more of those guys out there, that, that they have gifted enough offensive players that they can find a weak spot and really take advantage of it. Um, so he, he's come back to that a, a few times. And I guess, you know, in terms of just the ball handling and the playmaking, they feel like, you know, that that's a versatile enough group that, that they can kind of pick at the scab uh, when, when, they, when they think that there's uh, something to be gained from it uh, with, with those sorts of players. And, I'm intrigued to see it happen, but <laughs> we need better health. Lou looked, sir, Lou looked fantastic in that first game. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, he's had a couple months off. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, is... I, both he, the first game, I think I commented on Twitter or in the Slack or something like, just put Gallo and Lou in bubble wrap right now. They're ready to go. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they don't need anything else. And, um, and Nate's been kind of harping on Gorgie, I think, you know, Nate's Nate's made some comments on conditioning on uh, multiple occasions, but you know there was at least one where he he kind of segued from from talking about conditioning, uh, you know, and, and kind of saying you know injuries have kind of gummed up the conditioning process. But then there was another time when he brought up conditioning, and he just kind of segued into talking about Gorgie. And so, you know, if if, if Lou and Gallo look ready to go for opening night, like now. Uh, I think he's looking for more from Gorgie. Gorgie's not the fastest player. No, <laughs> no, that that's and that's one of the reasons that earlier I was contrasting him with Clint's ability to really quickly, you know, kind of get to the rim and stuff. But, um, but no, it's funny because when you hear Nate talk after games, um, other availabilities, it's almost like he believes these four preseason games are ninety-five percent about just getting these guys in game shape. You know, that's why they're running by an offense. That's why I guess Miami, they were running really basic drop soft defense until they were getting killed and they went to a switch base game. They at least get some, throw something else out there that might, you know, provide a little bit of kind of pushback and stuff. But I, I you know, it, it's nice to watch a player and go, oh, this is what I'm finding interesting about watching him. But from Nate's perspective, it does seem like this is like almost completely about getting these guys to the chain, <laughs> which is important, you know, so. That's that's yeah. veteran coach, veteran coach, kind of simplifying things, and uh, which is what most veteran coaches do. 
and two two games against Miami is good if if they're the uh, fitness gurus, the legendary Miami Heat fitness program. Like uh, playing them in the preseason is a good thing if they're going to come out and clutch and brawl and have body fat of four percent and act like you know the games in October are the most important games of their lives. Uh, if if they want to hit the, the full gas pedal in October, uh, play playing them in the preseason is good because you're like, oh shit, we really do gotta catch. <laughs> That's why I want to see James Harden trade the Miami Cup. I want to see you know George Costanza. The worlds are colliding. You know um, what would happen? <laughs> but I think we knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no. Anyway, that's a different conversation. Well, all right. Uh, this is my training camp. I'm rusty on the podcast, so hopefully I, I can get fit and, and be ready to do a, a better uh, preseason podcast number two sometime soon. You're doing great. Uh, you're a pro. Um, no, this is, this is fun. I, I, you can probably even tell in my voice I'm the season getting close enough now that my excitement level is starting to ratchet up. Despite this bland offense I've been watching in the Hawks, I'm still excited about the start of the season being right around the corner. Can't wait. Um, some decisions to make around who gets who's going to be on the roster when camp starts. I'm curious if they might look at grabbing another big that comes free when other teams are cutting things down. You know, so so definitely some things to watch in that area. But you know, I love the on-court X's nose scheme you know, getting organized, all that sort of stuff. And I'm, you know, just decided to see what this team looks like here in a couple of weeks when they actually get going. Well, very good. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. And, and thanks for doing this. Yep. Thanks, Kevin. Have, have a good night. Good night.